Good to see you this morning. Um, Friday, I was driving on I-35 and had my son Cooper uh, in the seat next to me, and um, he's been learning cursive. He's in second grade, and they're doing cursive at his grade, and so he's you know continually telling me to look at these letters that he's drawing, and he's doing the D's and the W's and all these things because he wants to write Daddy Walter, right? Um, so he's doing all these letters. Well, literally out of the blue, uh, I'm doing about 85, uh, 70 miles an hour and just driving down the highway and a truck dropped a big old blue wheelbarrow out of it in the middle of the highway. And I see the wheelbarrow and I immediately, with all of my athletic prowess, jerk my car to the left and hit it off uh, on the right side of my car, glance off of it, and I mean that wheelbarrow just shot 20 feet at least into the uh, uh, into the lane over here. Not the lane, but the, what do you call that thing? Shoulder. Thank you. That. Uh, anyway, I thought, oh, it was, I glanced it, you know, no big deal. I probably have, uh, you know, some scuff marks on the side of my car there, and uh, I'll just, you know, I'll just go to a body shop and maybe 100 bucks to repaint the thing. That's fine. So I go all the way to Denton, and we get out to my parents' house, and uh, I get out to go look at the damage. Well, Cooper gets out first, and uh, he looks at it, and he goes, <gasps> just big and wide-eyed, and I thought, oh, my gosh. And I get out, and sure enough, I mean, it is the right side is just smashed in. My lights, my floodlights, my... It ripped out the bottom of my my uh, the grill. It just was it was just messed up, and I I just thought, oh the injustice of the world, you know just goodness gracious, yeah what does a guy have to do? You know I mean I'm teaching the Bible regularly. I pray. I talk to people about Jesus. You know I mean, and why couldn't it hit the accord behind me? You know, but no, it's got to hit me, you know, and just, ah, just want to cry out one of those famous, they call them imprecatory psalms where David will call out fire from heaven to judge and smite his enemies. I'm just, Lord, smite that truck for dropping that wheelbarrow, you know, just the godly teaching pastor that I am. But I just thought, man, isn't that just how life is, just Things come at you that you don't anticipate. Things happen. People do things. Life takes a turn. Life just at times throws things your way, and uh, and you just don't know they're coming. Uh, and many of you here, we could have a testimony time, and you guys could share uh, about events and things in your life that are much more profound than a wheelbarrow. And uh, that may cost me a little bit of money, but that's nothing compared to some of the scars and the whelps that sometimes we get in life. Amen? That's just life. Uh, one of the great things about being um, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is that we have embraced a fundamental paradigm shift in life. Uh, in Mark chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but in Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes on the scene. And he says, the time has come. And that word time is not the word for a chronology. It's the word for a new epoch. A new age has come. He says, the time, the kairos has come. And he says, 
Repent and believe the good news, for the kingdom of God is at hand. See, and Jesus is inaugurating, introducing the kingdom of God. And that theme of the kingdom of God, it is the most important and fundamental aspect of all of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they talk about a lot of things, but the key thread through all of those Gospels is the kingdom of God. You know why that is? Because from the beginning of your Bible all to the all the way to the end, it's dealing about how does a person go through life when there's death and suffering and disease and the wheelbarrows of life come in your way, things that you don't even expect. How does a person deal and manage life? And how do you effectively now deal with your culture? How do I, as a believing Christian, how do I now uh, affect and impact culture around me when I see all of this stuff going on in my life and in the lives of everyone else. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to, I want to do just a real simple, basic inventory. You know, we, we're hitting sep- September 1. Sept- what is it? September 2? September 2nd. Uh, fall. It's going to be busy. A lot going on at the church. A lot of things happening. And I want us to just take a little bit of time and just kind of do a little checkup on how we're doing in about six fundamental areas of our life. Uh, If you have your Bibles, look in the book of Ephesians. I want you to see something here that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, beginning in verse 1, he says, As a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Every single one of us in this room, regardless of of age, gender, ethnicity, it doesn't matter. Every single one of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior has a distinct calling that God has given you. Now, Paul later is going to say that there's been a different measure of grace given to each of us, which means some of you, you're going to have a much more tightly bound or a narrower calling. Your calling for a season may be uh, your husband, your children, it may be uh, neighbors close to you, it may be immediate family. Uh, whatever it is, it may be a little tighter. For others of you, it may be broader than that. Maybe you work part-time. Maybe you work full-time. It's going to be your office, the marketplace, those things. Uh, all of us have a different realm, a different um, length, uh, or a different accessibility to people. But all of us have this distinct calling that Paul tells us about. And if you go down, he'll see that he wants us to be trained He wants all of us to be trained and have the ability to fulfill our calling. You know what he did? Verse 11. It was he, Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers. Why? Verse 12. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. See, that's the goal. The goal is for every one of us in this room to continue down the path towards maturity. See? Right after Jesus comes out on the scene and He says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The first thing He does, according to the Gospel of Mark, is He goes and He calls His disciples and He says, Come, follow Me, for I will what? I will make you fishers of men. See? That's the divine call. 
And that's not just descriptive of the disciples, because Jesus, at the end, during the Great Commission of Matthew 28, He tells us to go out into all the nations, the ethnos, ethnicities, all the peoples, teaching them, discipling them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, all of us have a responsibility to some degree to look around, whether it's with our immediate family, our neighbors, friends, co-workers, it doesn't matter, that we are to be fishers of men. See? So we need to be able to have our lives in relative order in order to do this. One of the fundamental problems of people today is that our lives are just fragmented. Now I'm going to give you a little physical visual of where I'm going today. Okay? I'm going to talk about six, six basic ideas um, about living the, an effective Christian life, what that looks like, and how I can reach out and be a fisher of people out there. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about these six things. Take, if you took your hand, the biggest part of your hand is your palm, right? It's your palm. That is, that is your spiritual life right there. That is the fundamental core component of your life. Uh, Genesis 1.26 says, And he said, Let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he made them, male and female. See, your fundamental makeup is that you are in the image of God. That it is your spiritual life that is the fundamental component of your life. See, the problem is a lot of people, they make their spiritual life more of a finger. And right here, this is more of a consumeristic life. That my life is about whatever revolves around my, my needs, my consumptions, you see. And when that happens, it now compartmentalizes all these other things, but it's a life of frustration, see. Because if you are a creature made in the image of God and you are a spiritual being, you cannot live a life fundamentally driven by self because that's not who you fundamentally are. See? You are a creature made in the image of God meant to serve God and therefore an effective life is one where all the other components of your life are the overflow of the spiritual core. Y'all with me? So we're going to talk, number one, about the spiritual component. Then we're going to talk about the intellectual component, the mind. And the reason I make this the mind is because the mind touches every other component of your life. Everything. Your feelings, your social network, everything you do all filters through the mind. So the spiritual component, you got the mind. Then we're going to look at, uh, we're going to look at um, your physical life. We're going to look at your emotional life. Uh, we're going to look at your financial life. Okay? And we're going to look at, uh, the last one's going to be our social social life. Uh, we're going to look at these things and see kind of as an integrated whole, how am I doing in my life? Is my life one of frustration? Does my life feel fragmented? Um, you know, one of the best things that a guy that discipled me did is he showed me kind of this wheel a long time ago. And it was a wheel that represented the Christian life. And he showed me the hub. You guys ever seen those wheels? And the hub is Christ. Then you have all these spokes, right? That's the idea that when Christ is the hub, and it now, Christ now can literally integrate every aspect of my life. Regardless of circumstances, I at least have a sense that my wheel isn't wobbly. That I have a sense of wholeness, and that I'm, I'm, uh, I feel a sense of purpose in my life. So, number one, the spiritual life. What is that? Well, that's the thing that when you look in the mirror, the question you have to ask yourself is, you look in the mirror and you just say, God, how, how am I doing with you? 
How are we doing? How is my heart? How is my time with you? How are my thoughts with you? Um, Are my thoughts with you fragmented that I think of you when it's time to think of you? Or is there a sense where God's thought, God's presence is so integrated into my life that when I think of my money, when I think of my social life, when I think of my emotions, when I think of all of these things, I integrate God in all of those things. See, it's Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. See, that's the spiritual component. Is that my life is a living sacrifice unto the Lord. So, how do I do there? Now, one of the things we do here at Rock Point is we try to provide ways to facilitate a growth um, in, that, in those areas for you. That's why, for instance, uh, next Sunday, we're going to start back our survey of the Bible. We're going to wrap up in the next eight weeks our survey of the whole Bible. And when we do that, not because I like to get up at 8 a.m. And, and, and teach a survey of the whole Bible at 8 a.m., it's because we know that there's a benefit to the body of Christ being able to wrap their arms around the Bible and to feel like, when I open it up, I know kind of what's going on. See? Um, Tuesday morning, some of you guys have been coming to Tuesday morning Bible study at 6, 10 in the morning. You know? Um, I don't necessarily, you know, look forward to getting up at 5.08 to, you know, make my track from Denton. But I, I enjoy it. I love it. To get together and get a group of men together. And we're going through the Gospel of Mark verse by verse and talking about the life of Jesus, you know. Some of you guys haven't been there yet. I want to encourage you guys. Get up. Six o'clock. Spend some time with the Lord and His Word and some men. And let's work through the, the Gospel together and develop and cultivate that spiritual core in your life. You ain't doing nothing at 6 a.m. Trust me. You guys don't have a business meeting, I assure you. If you do, change vocations. Just kidding. But get in there. Some of you ladies, we got wonderful women's Bible studies and, and women's groups and community groups. We got all kinds of stuff to help foster the spiritual dimension of your life. So, number one, how am I doing here? Is this really the main component of my life? Secondly, the intellectual component. This is a life of the mind. You know, Paul talks about the mind uh, next to the heart he talks about the mind more than any other topic talks about girding up your mind setting your mind on the things above whatever is good true lovely of good repute let your mind dwell on these things don't be like the double minded man tossed and torn by the waves and the winds see Paul focuses on the mind you know why because it's the mind that informs everything else in your life I've got my spiritual component that feeds through my mind and it now filters everything else. See? You can imagine now, if this isn't right, what's going through my mind now is going to taint everything else. And now I'm going to see life in very fragmented and very frustrated ways. See? You've got to have a life that's devoted to being a, to being a good thinker and to take that time. I mean, too many times I hear people tell me I'm too busy to read. You know what? I know some of the busiest people in the world. There's a girl that I know, a great friend of mine, she and her husband. She's got four kids and homeschools all four kids. And she reads about a book a month. 
And she is just she just lays aside that time and she tells her kids, This is my time. And she's a wonderful model for me. And she you talk about busy. They've got five home health companies that they run. And she does that with her husband. Five home health companies, four kids, and homeschools them and still finds time every day to lay aside for her to read. See, because she knows that her mind is that important that she's got to stay sharp. Um, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this, outside of the fact that the Bible talks so much about it, is because so, for so much of my life, as many of you know, I've talked about this, uh, I had no sense of the mind in the Christian life. I was an idiot. I was a a, a total dipstick. It didn't. I didn't see the value of the life of the mind. It was so bad that I remember from ni- at ninth grade I was about to begin. That's when your grades matter. Remember, in ninth grade that's when they really matter. So of course you know I took all the way through eighth grade lightly. Ninth grade is when it matters. And my dad and my mom came to me concerned about my potential poor study habits, and they said, "Listen, uh, we're going to bribe you." We're going to give you $20 an A. From ninth grade all the way through high school, every time you make an A, you're going to get $20. Which, you know, gosh, that was 1984. Uh, that was, to me, that was a lot of money. And from ninth grade to 12th grade in four years, I had amassed a whopping wealth of $20. 20 bucks. And it was my 10th grade English class that I made a 91. I mean, I just barely got in. By today's standards, I don't think a 91's an A anymore, is it? So I'd, I'd be, I wouldn't have my 20 bucks. 20 bucks in four years. Just terrible. I got into college somehow. I got in my first semester. Made, made just a whopping 1.73. Followed that baby up with a 169. Woo! Flourishing through college. Partying it up. 173, 169. I knew enough math to know that my cumulative now was a 171. And the other reason I knew that is because I got a letter from the school telling me that my cum was a 171. And unless I made a 2-5 the next semester, that they were going to suspend me from classes. And so... Mom and Dad had a very serious talk with me about that letter. And so I just, I mean, I buckled down. And I made a 252. I mean, why go beyond what the school requires, right? I made a 252. That, and that's just how I did it, man. I, I mean, I was, and but I could hit a tennis ball. I was a heck of a tennis player, you know. But, man, my mind, I just saw no, and I was a believer. And it wasn't until my last semester of college, I was 21 years old, got in Greg Bott, big six foot eight basketball player from Washington. He kind of got into my life, began discipling me. And I remember we were at Bullwinkle Steakhouse up in uh, Denton, Texas. And we sat there, had my chicken fried steak and my iced tea, green beans, mashed potatoes. Perfect meal. And we sit there and Greg looks at me and he just lays into me. And he just says, man, I've been spending months with you. And he said, I've got to tell you. He said, you've got a good mind. God has blessed you with the ability to think. He said, and you are a bad steward of your mind, a bad steward of your grades. He said, you are failing God in school. And he said, you are just lazy. And I mean, and he, he laid into me. 
And I had nothing to say. I mean, all of the evidence was against me. One sixes and one sevens and two fours and just pitiful, pitiful stuff. And that semester was my last semester, my graduating semester. Um, for the first time in my entire college career outside of my PE classes, um, I made two A's on my report card. And I remember I went back to my dad and I said, Give me 40 bucks, Daddy. I just got me two A's on this thing. Uh, but from that point on, there was a fundamental shift when Greg talked to me about what does it mean to worship God with your mind and to be a thinker, to offer my mind to Him. See, it's through the renewing of your mind that you then become conformed to the image of Christ. See? And I'm convinced that everyone in this room has got a good mind. I've got no doubts. But many of us are not offering the Lord the best of what He's given us. For some of you here, uh, you know, maybe it's going back and taking a class just to take a class. Not to get a degree. Just go take a class and study. And, and, and stretch yourself. For others, it's just beginning to read. Say, so, you know what, I'm going I'm to do a book a month. I can do a book a month, and I'm going to start reading and learning and developing. I'll tell you, for me and my social and my environment with people, my my habits of reading have opened up more doors for me to talk to people than 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 most things, um, because I have access to conversations that I didn't have before. See, it's a wonderful way to use that for the kingdom. So, commit your mind to the Lord. Uh, write. Journal. Think. See? That's one of the major components. Next. Um, and this sounds trite, but I'm very serious about this. Fitness. Your body. You know, one of the big problems today is people lack energy. They're tired. They feel stressed. And doctors will tell you across the board, the number one thing you can do to relieve anxiety and stress and to get energy is to have is to have some sort of a fitness regimen. You've got to do it. You know, people think this is a modern phenomenon. It's not. How do you think Jesus and Paul and the disciples got around back then? Think they got on their scooter? Guys had their scooters? These guys walked miles and miles a day. See? And you talk about lives that needed that physical outlet, that exercise. There's some that need, you guys need every day. Not an option. You need to be out there walking every day or, or jogging or go and work out a couple times a week. You need the stress relief. You need the energy because when you're feeling flat and tired and lacking all of that stuff, it's like a paralysis to the rest of your life. Y'all know what I'm saying? You've got you to stay on top of that. It's important. Now, Paul says bodily discipline is of little profit, but he's right. I mean, I'm not doing it just to get all buff like our pastor. Um, they left. Uh, but I'm doing it to stay, to stay in shape, you know, so that you know, I can feel good. Next, you've got your spiritual, you've got your intellectual, you've got your fitness, and now we've got our social right here. What that social means is, that I don't do what contemporary modern Americans do, and that is that I isolate and fragment myself from everybody else. 
you know, when you look at the, the statistics of people that don't know their neighbors, is that not shocking to you? You've heard the numbers. Just outrageous. Seventy plus percent of people don't know their neighbors on either side of them. It's crazy, isn't it? When you really begin to see how busy in tunnel vision we kind of get with life, that we just kind of don't build our network around us. Well, three things I want, to, I want, I want us to, to think about. Number one, when it comes to that social area of growth, if I ask you guys to write the name of somebody in the back of your Bible that is the person who consistently and regularly pours into your life to edify and to help develop you, who would you write down? Who was that person or who is that person that you would write down? And you would say, this is who it is. Once a month we get together. Every couple of weeks we get together. This is the person who challenges me and really edifies me to grow and to develop. Um, who are we doing that for? See, who am I pouring my life out, uh, out for? Um, for a period of time it could, be my, it could be my children. It could be some people close to me. It could be beyond that. Maybe for some of you guys, maybe it's in your office. It's you reaching out and becoming somebody that becomes someone that edifies people at work. You know, for me, I love my job. I'm also a tennis pro down in Dallas. A lot of you guys know that. Um, if I won the lottery tomorrow, uh, I would not quit teaching tennis. I would minimize a little bit more, but I wouldn't quit teaching. You know why? Because I love my job. And I love the impact and the opportunity that I have through the relationships with those people at the club. It's a place where I know that after being there 14 years, by God's grace, I become a person that is recognized as someone that they can come to and talk to. You see, that I can be, an, I can be one who edifies their lives. That's the fulfilling life, is when you become that kind of a person in the lives of other people. And thirdly, building up a building up some sort of a sphere of influence among non-believers. You know, people laugh all the time when I always talk about Starbucks. And yes, I mean I'm addicted, so that's part of it. That's not the whole story. I go to Starbucks because that's a place that I consider an investment that I make with people that work there and people who go there on a regular basis. And you know, I'm like. If you ever remember the show Cheers, Norm would walk in, everyone would say, hey, Norm, right? Uh, I walk in, and there's at least three Starbucks that when I walk in, my drink is already being made, uh, which I love. And just developing the friendships and the relationships. You know, I had a guy yesterday that I've been talking to. He's doing a graduate degree in physics. And I've always had kind of a lay interest in physics and in science. And his specialty that he's working on is quantum cosmology. Well, I happened to do a little reading in quantum cosmology as a layperson. So I began asking him a couple questions about some authors and stuff. Yesterday, I walk into Starbucks. I set my bag down on the table. I go to the restroom, and I come back. And there is a, an introductory text to quantum cosmology open on my table with the chapter talking about the very question that I had. And the guy that works there brought the book waiting for me to show up that day so that he could let me read the chapter. And I only had about 25 minutes to do something else. And you know what I did that 25 minutes? I read that chapter. See? Because he took the step to do that and it's part of building that relationship. See? My social network. 
that's born out of my spiritual core, that's born out of my intellectual life, because I am fit enough to go to Starbucks and drink my mocha. I had to fit that one in there somehow. But there's my, there's my social network, see? I've got me about six to eight guys that I can see eye to eye with, see? I meet with Ron on a regular basis, and we can just talk and edify one another. I meet with some other guys. I can pour into other guys. I've got my non-believing people in my mind that I think about because I genuinely care about them. Not because I'm trying to get them, but because I care and I want to get to know them. See? That's my social network. Your next one is your, is your financial area. Now, I'll be perfectly candid. I've been all over the map on this one. I've had good, good times, good seasons, and I've had rough seasons. Several years ago, going through some hard times that I went through, I recognize the difference when you don't have financial freedom. You guys know what I mean? That when you don't have financial freedom, you feel locked. Suddenly you can't you can't go because you gotta you gotta you gotta work. You know, and, and, and you can't send. You can't write the check to send somebody. You know, and you can't give like you want to give. You see God doing some great work. Um, whether it's at your local church, working on a, pro, a building project, or whatever it is that you see being done for the kingdom. You want to give your heart's there, but you can't, you see. Or maybe it's just to bless. You ever just given just to bless? Well, you, there's no reason. You just want to bless and just give, whatever that is, see. That's a major component in the freedom of the Christian life as we make an impact in our culture. Is when you can use those resources for the kingdom of God. You see, that's powerful. And finally, you've got the last component. You've got the emotional component. Now, turn with me to, Mo- to Matthew 11. I want to show you one of the best texts for the modern American today that they're desperately looking for. Matthew 11. You guys, many of you are familiar with this text. What Jesus says in verse 28. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Who qualifies for that, by the way? Yeah. Raise the hands, anybody? You sometimes feel weary and burdened? Yeah. Think about the world. Come all who are weary and, and heavy burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. That right there is what we offer those around us. That is because we are the children of the light. We now have the privilege of going out to the world and saying, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. He's come. And He's offered these things on our behalf. That you can take your yoke, you can take your burdens, you can take all of the wearisome things in your life, and we can cast them before Him. And it's light. See? But in order to do that with others, what has to happen first? I've got to learn how to integrate this in my own life. Can I say one thing? You know, a lot of you know, about five years ago, I went through a very difficult time through my divorce. And for me personally, this isn't true for everybody. Something I was shocked about. I, number one, I felt the deep anguish and pain and loss of all of that. I wept the tears. I had those days that were just deeply painful. Um, this isn't talking about not feeling pain. 
But I, I can honestly say I never entered into despair. I didn't. I never in, entered into despair. I never had a day that was un, non-functional for me. And I think one of the reasons is because God over time was helping to develop these muscles within me to walk through such a storm. See? And some of you go, are going through those storms. And the world out there are going through these storms, you see. And we have something to offer everybody out there. And it is, it is the kingdom of God through the coming of Jesus Christ. But why is it that people you know, don't experience the freedom that comes from Christ? I think it comes down to one thing a lot of times. I think it really comes down to fear. Which ironically, the one phrase, it's one of the most common phrases in your Bible is, do not be afraid. Fear not. Do not fear. You see that over and over and over again. And the reason is because fear is the paralysis of life. You know, Bob Rotella, he's a famous golf psychologist. He uses a great illustration to illustrate how fear can paralyze a person's life. He relates it to sports, but it's also related to life. And he says, he uses as an illustration a balance beam. And he says, you know, you tell somebody to get on a balance beam, you tell them to walk across, and it's no problem. They hop on the balance beam, they walk 8 or 10 feet, and they, and they do it. He said, if you raise the balance beam 20 feet into the air and said, now, get on the balance beam and walk across, how are they going to do? He said, they don't do it. Unless they're specially trained as acrobats or gymnasts, they don't do it. And he said, the reason is because only one thing has changed. The balance beam is the same, essentially. Nothing's changed about the balance beam. The person's ability hasn't been changed. What's changed is what? The person's mindset, the fear now that they have about falling, you see. And he makes the point that that's how life is. That's how sports is. Great athletes are able to subdue fear and go for their shots during critical times. And in life, it's the same way. That it's the ability to subdue fear and to believe when Jesus says, Do not fear, for I am with you. To believe that and enter into His rest, you see, and to trust Him. That's when we can begin making a kingdom impact in our culture, see, and proclaim like He did, repent and believe the good news. Because it's good news. But it has to start here. Your spiritual core. That this is the vibrant part of my life. How am I doing here? How's my intellectual life that touches all the areas of my life? How's my physical life? How's my emotional life? How's my financial life? And how is my social life? Are all of those things the overflow of this core that comes from my relationship with Jesus Christ? I want you all to just later today, if you have some time, or this week, spend some time and ask those questions about how am I doing in those areas and how am I making life impact within my sphere that God has put me in. Amen.